Let's stand together, please, as we reverence the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 24. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower grass. The grass withers, and its flower fails away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Today we'll consider an incredible subject, the impact and importance of the Word of God, the Bible. When Simon Peter was writing these words in the first century, the Bible at that time was between 25 and 30 years away from its final completion. John the Apostle, of course, the last of the surviving apostles, would pen those last words of the book of Revelation, and that was the completion then of the Bible and the completion of God's inspired revelation to us. Now, the Holy Spirit works in all of our lives, but He works through the Bible. He works through the Scriptures to apply God's Word to our life to help us to understand how that applies. And we spend our life then learning it and trying to live it out. Simon Peter was already an old man when he wrote these words, and his life was almost over. <laughs> what a life it had been. What a life. For this Galilean fisherman growing up as he did, working so hard as a commercial fisherman, eking out a living in the Sea of Galilee. It was when he responded to the word of Jesus Christ, when he said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he left his nets and did what Jesus said. Oh, what a difference that decision would make in Simon Peter's life. The decision to follow the word of God, to do what Jesus said to do. It's no wonder then as he reaches the end of his life and what an incredible life it was. Let me say that again. As he reaches the end of it, it's no wonder he's reflecting on how significant the Word of God had been in his life. All around me today and even behind this pulpit, there are people who've spent a lifetime studying and learning, reverencing, reflecting on the truth of God as it's revealed to us in Scripture. And all of us could tell you, we could all add our own testimony what it was. Not that we lived the life that Simon Peter lived, but we all have learned what an incredible impact the Word of God has on our life. To know it, to live by it. We could say amen then this morning to what Simon Peter says in these passages. Peter was writing during a time when those who believed the gospel were facing great difficulties. Of course, they always had. Remember, by the way, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, crucified by people who hated him for what he taught the Jews. 
And though that was the verdict that they passed, uh, that verdict was overturned by a higher court. Jesus rose from the dead. And he is alive today forevermore. And so it wasn't long, though, until Simon Peter would watch James, the brother of John. Those, that trilogy we saw over and over again through the Gospels. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. James. That James would be killed by the brutal dictator, Herod. He'd watch Stephen, one of those deacons that became evangelists. He'd watch him beaten to death with rocks, stoned, under the leadership of a young rabbi named Saul from Tarsus. What a testimony that would be. They were not the only two. There were many more who suffered incredibly at the hands of the Jews. They always did. And now things are turning for the worse. Persecution that had been led by the Jews. They could basically get away from that for the most part by going into areas where Jews did not exercise legal control. And that's what they did. They were scattered. No, there were Jewish populations in every city almost uh, that they went through. In fact, in, you know, name any city in the Bible that's mentioned in the Bible. And they were, there was a Jewish population there. Yet they were not in control of the government. But they're about to start dealing with the Romans. And the Romans would then persecute Christians. And he would raise it in intensity. Become as barbarous in all the ways that the Romans were notorious for. Christians would be just killed. They'd be beheaded. They'd be burned alive. Killed in their public venues for sport. Some were turned loose with ravenous beasts to die. Cruel death. Simon Peter himself would die in this persecution as would Paul. You see, Simon Peter's audience was about to have their faith tested by fire. That's exactly what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. They were about to have their faith tried by fire. Of the trying of your faith, those tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This trial by fire for our faith comes to us all in our own way. Every generation of believers has been forced to put their faith on display and yes, to endure that time when their faith would be, faith would be subjected to trial. Every generation has this. And it brings us down then to the same question. Will we give heed to the word of God or not? Will we give heed to the scriptures? It's not just hearing. It's heeding. We give heed when we accept something as true and authoritative and then adjust our lives accordingly. Will we give heed to the word of God? That's the test. That's the trial by fire for our faith. Will we continue to believe the scriptures? Will we continue to study it and learn it? Will we make it our lifetime goal to live in accordance to a higher power than any other power on this earth? Will we do it? 
Our faith will be tried by fire. Now, the difference between heeding and hearing can be easily illustrated. We see a stop sign. We read it. We know exactly what it means, not slow down. That's not what it means. It means stop. We see that sign that says we're heading into a construction zone. And, and you know, the, the speed limit is a certain level then. We, we see that. We acknowledge it. We know exactly what it means. But do we heed it? Do we slow down? Do we do what it tells us to do? James, in a companion passage to our text today, in James 1.21, says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, there's something about knowing biblical truth, especially if it's knowing a little bit of biblical truth, that encourages us to comfort ourselves with the fact that we know it. Well, we know it. In fact, I, I hear it all the time. Well, I know what the Bible says. I, I know it. We know it. Yeah. But we can deceive ourselves into thinking that it, that has just made all the difference because we know what the Bible says. But James says, no, we've got to do it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. So when we heed the word of God, when we acknowledge that, yes, indeed, this Bible is the word of God, inspired of God, authoritative in my life, it tells me the truth, God's truth. In an age where truth is up for grabs, where truth seems truth seems to change just from one week almost to the next, to where some of the biggest and most monstrous lies that have ever been perpetrated on humanity are being accepted. We live in that day. I'm here to declare to you that thy word, God's word, is true. It's the truth. It's always been true. It always will be true. So this morning, we will start there and find out then, as Simon Peter tells us, as newborn babes then desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. We think about the impact then that the Word of God has on us. And first of all, when we think about the Word, we need to remind ourselves, as Simon Peter did, that it is a saving Word. Verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. You see, it is the Word of God that declares to us the message of salvation. Now, the Word of God does that by giving us the bad news, and that is the bad news of our sinfulness. And it is my responsibility as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ not only to tell you the good news about how much God loves you, the good news about how that Jesus loved you, died on the cross for your sins, but also the bad news that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We wouldn't know that. We wouldn't figure that out on our own because our natural inclination is to say, I'm not that bad. 
Now, I've got a problem or two. I might make a mistake every now and then. But, uh, I mean, we can always find somebody that's a whole lot worse off than we are. That's not what it's all about. The message is the message of our sinfulness. And the good news then that the Savior has come and salvation has been paid in full. It's no wonder then that Simon Peter calls us to a sincere love for the brethren as believers in Christ. Knowing that a strong bond of fellowship and love among believers is vital if your faith is going to be tried by fire. Any military unit ever trained for combat knows that vital principle of fellowship. Of relationship among those who are going into battle. We must not forget it. The probability of your faith surviving this test is directly proportional to the degree of fellowship and love you have with other believers. To put it plainly for us today, you need the fellowship of other believers. Your kids need the fellowship of other believers. Your grandkids need the fellowship of other believers. Their faith and yours. It's being tried by fire. You need this. You see, this isn't love in the abstract. This is love that's put in practice through fellowship, interaction, and encouragement. So that this love among believers is not some kind of chemistry. It's not just some kind of affinity based on shared interest. It is based on our common salvation in Jesus Christ. Every one of us have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us believe that Jesus Christ gave his word to us. And he has revealed then his truth to us. And that we are still proclaiming, still preaching, still learning the same old message. The old, old story of Jesus and his love. That's us. And because of that, then we have a basis for our shared fellowship. Simon Peter then talks about how the gospel works in the word of God. He brings it up again in verse 25. Now this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. You see, our very salvation comes when we believe the gospel. <laughs> and we wouldn't know what the gospel is if it wasn't for the Bible. It is the Bible then, the Word of God, that teaches us the truth of the gospel. You'll see that in a verse I quote to you a whole lot. And I don't plan to stop anytime soon. That's Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also for the Greeks. The power of God unto salvation. It is the truth of the gospel. These passages in Romans chapter 1 are a part of an extended discussion of the gospel. And yes, if you'll read Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, you will see that Paul did not, although he introduces us to the gospel, he didn't dwell on the truth of the gospel first. He dwelled instead on the truth of our sinfulness and declared all humanity to be under sin so that he would say in Romans 3.23, that famous passage of Scripture, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not it. There's more. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then all are under God's judgment. The wages of sin is death, he said. Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life. If that's all we had, we'd be in a mess. But humanity throughout its history has always 
developed complicated strategies of how we can remedy our sinfulness and how we can be sure that in an afterlife that we're going to have a time of peace and not a time of judgment. Most of these things are incredibly complicated that involve uh, the, the, the hurting of oneself oftentimes. Involved all kinds of legalistic systems, complicated things that people do, religious works. I want to tell you something about all of them, all of these systems, whatever they are. They're all wrong because there is only one way to be saved. Only one. And that is what Simon Peter puts before us in this passage, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth. What truth and what obedience? Well, one of the simplest statements of the gospel to be found in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 16. I want to share that with you this morning. It's a lengthy reading, but it's worth looking at. Acts chapter 16, Paul was in prison in a city called Philippi. He was dealing with the Philippian jailer who came to him and said, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. What must I do to be saved? What was the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. I'd, I'll have to preach a whole sermon on this passage sometime. Not going to today, but it's just interesting that Paul made a promise. If you'll believe this, all of your family will get saved. And you know what? The Bible concludes with the fulfillment of that promise. Yes, indeed. They believed. He believed in God. And everybody in his house did too. There are people who, strangely enough, will look at this passage and use it as a proof text, as a way of proving the idea of infant baptism. You see, nowhere in the Bible do we see a demonstration of infant baptism. This is about the closest they get. They say, well, see, the Philippian jailer was saved, and then all his household got saved, and they all got baptized. Well, that's the truth. But now look at what he says. They spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house, and all that were in his house believed in God. Now, that tells me they weren't infants. Why? Because babies, though we're talking about babies this morning, infants don't believe. They can't. They don't have the capacity to do that. And so, how old were all those people in his house? We don't know. But they were old enough to hear the word of God. They were old enough to be convicted of their sins. They were old enough to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And they were old enough to believe it for themselves. Nobody had to talk for them. Nobody had to speak for them. Didn't have to have Godparents there to speak up for them. None of that. This man believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was saved. So what was the command? Believe on the Lord Jesus what was the response? He believed on the Lord Jesus. Now, baptism is presented in this scripture as it is in all other scriptures, as an affirmation of our invisible faith. 
We, by we I mean other people. We cannot look into the hearts of anybody and know whether or not they're saved. We can't. God can. We can't. Baptism then is that visible affirmation, a symbol uh, of that internal faith. And this man was baptized on the very night he was saved. So how do you affirm? How do you show the effects of your salvation? The first way you do that is by being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by immersion in water because that's what baptism means. Here in every case, as in every other case in the New Testament, the Bible mentions believers' baptism, not infant baptism. So we hear then the word. Simon Peter talks about you were saved by obeying. What, what do we obey? We hear the word. The, what is the word? The word says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe, we are born again. That's what he says in verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. You see, the first thing the Word of God does for us is it declares for us the means of salvation. And I want you to know this morning, there is not a more important or significant issue for anybody to face than the issue of your eternity, salvation, saved or lost. Saved or lost. Saved. Or lost. Focus, death claims you. Eternity claims you. If you're saved when you die, then you are receiving that promise to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. If you're lost when you die, then there's a place the Bible calls hell that is the eternal abode of those who reject Jesus Christ. There is, folks, a heaven to gain. There is a hell to avoid. And the difference is what do you do with Jesus Christ? How close are we all to eternity today? Just give it a listen. That's how close we are. That stops. We're in eternity. Heaven or hell. No more important issue can ever be faced than the issue of what will we do with Jesus Christ. Your eternal salvation is at stake. I'm not going to give you a bunch of ideas and opinions. Because your eternal salvation depends on the truth of the word of God. It tells us the gospel that's how we know who Jesus is. That's why, how we know that he has paid it all. That all to him I owe. How do I know it? Because the Bible tells me so. The word of God. Empowered by the spirit of God. Then is a saving word. Y'all are going to have to listen a little bit faster. <laughs> Secondly, we see in this passage, it is an enduring word. For all flesh is of grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof faileth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. What a graphic contrast. All flesh is as grass, and the flower it produces 
while I was pastor in Hazen many years ago, I learned about something that I had only heard in passing, and that was the Grand Prairie. It was not just something we made up. Uh, there was, in fact, prairie ground. And that all of that was once uh, a place that had native prairie grasses. I learned that once that ground went under the plow, the, the native prairie grasses were gone. And there was very, very little then of that actual prairie ground left. The largest part of it, I was told, and I haven't looked this up on Google, and even Google don't always get everything right, but I was told that the largest piece of that ground that's left is along the old Rock Island Railroad that follows along Highway 70 that was bought and purchased by the Nature Conservancy some years ago. And in that part, there's a lot of prairie ground. There was a little piece of it down towards Stuttgart when I was there for a while. One of the things you notice about prairie ground was the flowers. The flowers. Not sure what all they were. I can't tell you that. But when I think about Simon Peter's words in this passage about grass and the flowers, I think about the prairie and that beautiful grass and beautiful flowers. The only problem was it didn't last very long. You see, drought would sometimes come and the grass would just wither up. But even if it was a good wet summer, still winter would come. And the grass and the flower would go away. Simon Peter says, this is humanity. This is what human life is. And all the glorious things that human life can do. You see, we live as a dying people on a dying planet in a dying universe. And though we may prolong things for a little while, we are foolish if we believe that if we all start driving electric cars, that it's going to save the planet. This planet's not going to be saved if the Word of God is true. And I know that's not very popular in our culture today, uh, but I've read the book of Revelation. I know what's going to happen to this planet. I know what's going to happen to the universe. The Bible tells us. We are dying people. We live on a dying planet in a dying universe. And one of these days, God is going to hit the destruct button. And he's going to create it all anew. I don't have time to preach all that today. I'm just going to remind you that though we have this going on in our life, dying people, dying planet, dying universe, thank God there's something that lasts forever. And that's his word. His word lasts forever. The word of God, he said, endures forever. His truth will stand. Heading as they were into that fiery trial. They could count on the word of God. You and I know that. We've looked at a lot of situations in our life where the only hope we had was the revealed truth of God and his word. We could claim those promises. And we saw them play out for us. So the word is, of God is a saving word. The word of God is an enduring word. And lastly, the word of God is a growing word in the sense that it helps us to grow. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Some years ago, the milk producers of America came up with the slogan, Milk, it does a body good. That was long ago, in the 1980s, in fact. 
Uh, but yet those words, though they come from long ago, are indelibly printed on, in the folds of my mind somewhere, along with Wendy's, where's the beef? <clears throat> you deserve a break today, that's McDonald's, and of course M&M's melt in your mouth and not in your hand. I mean, those advertising slogans stay around a long way, so milk a long way, a long time. Milk does a body good, they say. Simon Peter's talking about spiritual milk. And how it does our spiritual lives a lot of good. And he brings it up because that's where we all start out. In Simon Peter's day, milk for newborn infants was breast milk. And it's interesting that he mentions the newborn. The newborn baby. Newborn. We know today that the newborns benefit from what's known as colostrum. The first mother's milk produced after a baby is born. It's high in protein, low in fat and sugar. It's filled with white blood cells that produce antibodies that strengthen the baby's immune system, protecting him or her from infection. It's highly concentrated, nutrient-dense colostrum. In a few days, uh, her milk will come in, as we say it, uh, but then that colostrum will continue for a while, even in that milk. Very, very valuable, full of antibodies, helps fight off infection. It's amazing. You'd think somebody designed it that way. Peter brings this up for comparison. As believers, we're to be like a newborn baby desiring the sincere or pure milk of the Word of God so we can grow. Now, the Apostle Paul would warn the church at Corinth because they were old enough to be eating meat, and yet they were still eating or only able to tolerate milk. And, and that was a bad thing. But there's no rebuke in what Simon Peter's saying here. It's a different comparison, different idea. He presents the truth of God's Word and speaks of us like a newborn infant, describing how we need it and how we desire it. We need that. We need, as believers, the Word of God like a newborn baby needs that milk from its mother. A couple of quick observations that makes the Word of God indispensable. There's no substitute for the Word of God. No infamil for the Word of God. Sorry. Mm -mm. It's invaluable. Since there's no substitute for it and since uh, our lives are eternal and it has an eternal impact upon our life, then there's no way we can put a value. Talk about something that's priceless. That's the Word of God. It teaches us of our salvation. It builds us up and gives us strength. And we find out that it's dependable and helpful. It'll guide us. It won't let us down. We need more and more of it. Like a baby, we need regular doses. Like a baby. It fights off spiritual infections. Simon Peter mentions some specifically. Malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speaking. Like all infections. These spiritual maladies, spiritual viruses, spiritual bacteria, spiritual infections make us miserable, weak, and somewhat selfish. The first that he mentions is malice. That is a deeply seated hostility and seething anger. It's a grudge on steroids. And as we feast and feed on the Word of God, it fights off that infection. That keeps us from holding on to those things 
and making ourselves and everybody around us miserable. The second is guile. Guile is deception, and it is when lies become a way of life. We call it living a life. The third one is similar but different. Uh, It is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy happens when we're, yes, living a lie, but we lose track of the truth. We're blind to it. The hypocrite is a person who's living a lie, but they don't see it. They don't know it. They've so lost themselves that they can't even see it anymore. And though the meaning, on the surface level at least, of, of living a lie is lost to them, the misery is still there. Then there's envy, pure jealousy. It naturally turns into the last thing on Simon Peter's list, evil speaking. Many of the attacks that are made on other people's life and character are rooted in pure, rotten jealousy. And the chances are that everybody in this room at some point in time in your life have been hit by and maybe even hurt by something that somebody said or somebody accused you of that was nothing more than jealousy on their part. These five things can all be in the heart of people and they combine to make us miserable. Miserable. But the Word of God has those powerful spiritual antibodies in it that help us fight off that infection. Instead of malice, we learn about forgiveness. Instead of guile, we learn about the truth. Instead of hypocrisy, then the Word of God offers us sanctification where our life becomes real. How does that happen? Through the truth. Instead of envy, the Bible teaches us how to rejoice with them that are blessed and how to grieve with those who are experiencing sorrow. We rejoice in the blessing of others. Instead of evil speaking, then we're taught by the Bible to speak the truth in love. The Word of God then helps us to grow And fights off all of those spiritual uh, viruses, all those spiritual problems that take up root in our heart. Keep us from enjoying life. We close out then with a simple question. How's your appetite? How's your appetite? Think about that newborn needing to eat every few hours. Do you hunger after the word of God? Jesus in the Beatitudes said, Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. But he also pronounced a woe upon those when he said, Woe to you that are full. It's a funny thing about not eating. After a while, you lose your appetite. You might would take issue with me on that, but you've probably seen someone dying who quit eating. And after a while... They won't eat because they're not hungry. Some of you in this service today are miserable. You're near living your life in misery. Some of you at home are miserable and you're living your life in misery. It isn't what's on the outside that's making you miserable. Remember, Simon Peter was talking to people who were being persecuted and that persecution was about to get worse. And we might look at the circumstances then in their life and and say, man, they've got every reason to be miserable. And yet Jesus uh, put before them a joy that their outside circumstances couldn't take them away. And Simon Peter reminds them then about that in this great passage, the joy that is available to us even when life is difficult, even in times of suffering. See, it's not our outside circumstances. It's what's on the inside. 
That's where that spiritual malady is. The burden of sin. The burden of unforgiveness. The burden of bitterness. The burden of living a lie. That's what makes us miserable. And it's there, folks, where the Word of God goes to work. On the inside. Not the outside, but on the inside. It's this message of love and salvation for humanity. That can change us from the inside out. Jesus gave us a couple of great passages of scripture. That I'm not going to turn there to you. I'm just going to quote them to you briefly. Jesus said concerning his truth. And what he was preaching and teaching them. He said if you know these things. That's the truth of scripture. If you know these things. He said happy are you if you do them. Can we say amen to that? Isn't it something joyful when we just do what God tells us to do? If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Jesus spoke then in that famous parable about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And he compared him to that person, listen, who hears these sayings of mine and does them and does them it's not about just what we hear it's not about just what we know it's about what we do it comes to us then when we acknowledge as Simon Peter did the incredible power that the word of God has to change our life for time and for eternity. At this uh, white-headed stage that I've gone into somewhat prematurely <coughs> in life, I can look back uh, at a whole lot more life behind me than I expect to have ahead of me. I don't expect to live to be 120 some odd. Look at a lot more life behind me. I can tell you, folk, I regret a lot of things. But I don't regret one single time that I did what God told me to do. Not a time. Not a time. You see, the Word of God is faithful. This Word abides forever. The misery. The times when we're miserable are the times when we know. We know. What he said. But we don't do it. Have you responded to the truth of scripture. And salvation. It says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you followed him in baptism? Bible teaches us that too. Have you done it? Bible teaches us about the importance of fellowship. And of loving one another fervently. Have you become a part of a. New Testament church. Bible teaches us that. Do you have a hunger for the word of God that drives you to read it on a regular basis? Oh. Happier ye if you do it. Let's stand together, please.